folks. Welcome back to The Office. So uh, this week, Barry and I will be concluding our series on the strategic rhetoric of whiteness. Um, if you're not familiar, please go back to the last couple episodes that we talked about where we give an introduction to this article by Tom Nakayama and Robert Krizik that outlines the ways in which whiteness operates as a kind of rhetoric or a kind of discourse in our society that really makes it invisible in a way that shapes other people and reinforces the idea that if you're not white, you're somehow lacking in some meaningful ways. Uh, we have been going through the six different points that they articulate uh, in that article. And the last two points that we're going to discuss are the territorial, excuse me, the territorialization of whiteness, which binds it to a national border, in this case, the United States, uh, so much so that to be white is to be assumed as to be American, or rather to be American is to be assumed to be white. And to be non-white carries the implication, or in some case, the outright accusation of not being American. And then the second point that we'll be discussing today is the association of white identity with Europe broadly, or even specific countries in a way that positions the identity as an accessory to your life, not as a defining or meaningful, you know, quality or aspect. So, yeah. Uh, we're, yeah. So basically we're talking about, you know, how white identity operates in terms of national identity and border and that kind of stuff. For sure. Let's talk about this. Excuse me. Let's talk about this in terms of mass media. Yeah. Uh, but actually there is, there is a story I want to share first. And that is, so years ago, my wife, uh, before she was my wife, she was working at an institution where she was responsible for, among other things, helping international students get acclimated to the uh, new, you know, college that they were transferring into that yeah. kind of thing. And this often involved a buddy system where they would be paired with a American friend, right? Yeah. Now, a lot of these students were coming from places in China or China, Korea, Japan, okay. uh, folks yeah. or places like that. And when they came to the United States, they were being paired with often Latino Americans, right? Hmm. People who were born in the United States, been in the United States their entire lives, but were of Latino descent, usually from Mexico or other places. There's a large Mexican American population in the greater Chicago area, which is where she was operating. And generally speaking, it was fine, but she did get the occasional complaint that the students were expecting an American partner. Ah, there it is. The assumption, the assumption being that they thought they were going to be paired with a white person, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And not that they necessarily had any negative biases or prejudices against Latinos, just that that was the expectation because in their heads, when they think American, they think white folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, I think it would be interesting, not that we probably could, but I think it would be interesting to look at the marketing materials that were provided to them because mm -hmm. uh, that can often also be part of the the overall rhetoric that uh, setting the expectations can be through the the media that these people are consuming or given when mm -hmm. considering this program yeah oh yeah so then where does that idea come from right this idea that to be american means that you are almost certainly white and and also in similar situations or in a, a similar vein you know it's a common phenomenon for if you're a person of color if we want to ask you know where are you from yeah right or where are you from really things like that right 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 uh, I've heard this less from, let's say, the African-American or black communities, uh, more from people that are like Latino or Asian or Southeast Asian, something along right, those lines, right, right? right? Where because we associate whiteness as the default of the United States, but also understanding that, you know, there's a lot of black folk in the United States as well. But that if you are from one of these other groups, ethnically or racially speaking, then you surely, must be from elsewhere. Yeah, right? surely. Yeah. So when we talk about the terrier, the I always struggle with this word, the territorialization of whiteness. What we're saying is that 
whiteness is so deeply entwined with this identity that it becomes of course and why is that the case when it comes to you know the united states i would argue that a large component of that is the visibility of the media that we put out yeah we export a significant amount of media for sure right? we make millions and billions of dollars every year in terms of uh the you know, international movie market and things like that. Not to mention TV shows that get sent overseas and what yeah, have you. Syndication and everything. Yeah. And I, there was a Senator uh, or a Congresswoman uh, I'll say, cause I, she might've been in the house. Um, I believe that's Congresswoman Jayapal okay. uh, who came from India uh, as a college student and then stayed in the United States and has become, you know, a, a U.S. politician. But she said that, you know, she came in the 1990s from India and she was under the impression that the United States was like, Saturday Night Fever with John Travolta. Mm. That was her point of reference. She said, there's an interview she gave, might have been with a, a CBS podcast where she said, I was really disappointed yeah. that it wasn't like it was in the movie. Interesting. Right? Yeah. And that might sound kind of silly, but you have to bear in mind a few things. One is that we put out so much media, right? So many movies, so many TV shows, our music is international, all that kind of stuff. Right. And then it often centers quite visibly white folks. Sometimes you have black folks as well. I mean, you obviously have international, you know, musicians, they're celebrated artists like Beyonce, like Rihanna. I mean, she's not American, but she's often associated with right. American music, things like that. But in terms of what you see and what you can get a hold of, especially in places that, you know, going back, you know, 30 years may have had limited access to the internet mm -hmm. or to media where you're having to deal with like physical copies of things and what circulates old movies right so when you think of america you might think of the godfather right you might think of martin scorsese movies and most of those i think all of them are about old white dudes mm -hmm. of some sort mm -hmm. old white dudes committing crimes in a variety of contexts right 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 are there any are there any minority led uh scorsese movies uh the only thing that comes to mind is scorsese directed the bad music video for michael jackson okay all right <laughs> That's did the, he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm gonna fact check myself here. Yeah. Don't double check that. But yeah, I mean, but, but typically speaking, when you think of like the the classic movies, right? The you know tentpole movies, the ones that are like huge that have a lot of circulation. You even think of things like Star Wars or Indiana Jones or the Godfather series or yeah. Right? Yeah, he did. He did. He. Oh yeah, Scorsese. Scorsese directed. I'm, directed bad. I'm bad. Or bad. Okay. Yeah. I, right. I guess this. I song, mean that yeah. that does explain why you know there's Joe Pesci giving a monologue during the breakdown uh, of that <laughs> song. So, yeah, <laughs> of course, uh, course, yeah, right, of course. Um, or Marvel movies, for goodness' sake, right? Or DC movies, or any of these superhero narratives. Like, obviously, you have even going back to like Blade, you have non-white leads in superhero narratives. But when you think of superhero movies you think of batman you think of superman you think of the x-men things like that and it's almost always white leads almost always white male leads right in these roles right so it's not unusual then that you would associate one with the other right right, right. if it's an american product it's going to have a white person attached almost always a white cisgendered male in a lead role yeah right? I, I mean this this goes back to and hinges well with the idea of representation theory right that things mm -hmm. things do not exist in our minds uh, outside of the representations that we are given right and mm -hmm. that if if some if we are going to understand anything it's because that thing 
that we are coming to understand has been represented to us in a variety of ways sometimes, but nonetheless, it, it has mm-hmm. to be represented. And, and the characteristics of that representation then creates the reality that we view the world through, right? And if the media mm-hmm. that we are uh, consuming is represented in a particular way on a consistent basis, then the our outlook on what has been represented through that media is largely shaped through that characteristic that's been consistent, right? Oh, yeah. And, and a way of thinking about this for Americans yeah. is to think about it in terms of what do we associate other countries with in terms of media? Yeah, totally. Right? Yep. Right. When we think of African countries, right, we think of like the charity commercials for, you know, starving youth and things like that. Never mind that there are, you know, thriving uh, African nations and cities and metropolitan areas and mm-hmm. things like that. Right. Yeah. When we think of the Middle East, uh, Middle Eastern countries, uh, perhaps like Saudi Arabia or Afghanistan, we often think of, you know, religious fundamentalists uh, or zealots. Never mind that, you know, these have these are nations and cultures with you know rich histories of academia, uh, as well as you know deep theological thought or um, and you know scientific advancement and stuff yeah. like that or yep. art and and what have you. And, and of course, you know, with like Britain, I always associate like Guy Ritchie movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I feel like I I grew up understanding an aspect of this, and in a way that I think a lot of people can connect to. I grew up in uh, New Mexico, and. New Mexico typically doesn't have a whole lot of representation in the larger national uh, U.S. media. And that when it does, it is hinged around only a few different topics and is characterized. uh, The environment of New Mexico is characterized in very limited ways, usually that like uh, the rat race. If you've seen it, it's a really terrible movie. It's a remake of it's a mad, 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 mad world. Um but it's it's about uh, this group I'm of people of who rats by Kevin Smith. Okay, yeah, no, sorry. not mall rats. But uh, Rat Race is uh, a good film where it ends in New Mexico. The the this group of people that are unrelated to each other get kind of mixed up in this huge uh, race to to get lots of money that's been hidden away from them. You know, like some rich guys, like mm-hmm. uh, just for entertainment purposes, giving these people something to do. Um, and they go uh, on this cross country road trip, mad dash to New Mexico to try and like pick up this money that's hidden in a locker somewhere. And when they get to New Mexico, it is like this. And it's it's like contemporary modern day United States is where the the setting of this this story. And when they get right. to New Mexico, it's like the Wild West. It's like uh, yeah. train station, uh, OK Corral, like weathered uh, uh-huh. wooden floorboards and the saloon and st- like it's just it's it's wild. It's crazy. I was going to say, wasn't was didn't the shootout at the OK Corral take place in New Mexico? Wasn't yeah, that correct? Yeah, OK Corral. Yeah, and that was. That was uh, Billy the Kid, Butch Cassidy. It was wider. Okay. Yeah, wider. Okay. That's yeah. what it is. It's, but now would be a good time to admit that I've never seen Tombstone, which I know is about that event. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't worry about it. You're not like, it's not. Really? Yeah, don't worry about it. You're good. <laughs> okay. Like, I mean, watch it sometime, maybe, but don't like think you're, you're like getting in this topic of representation, right? Uh, don't, don't yeah. feel like you're getting something important out of Tombstone. <laughs> But okay. <laughs> I, I guess 
I guess the, the, the point being that like coming from a place where I see media constantly misrepresent the place that I have called home. Right. Um, I, I, I get, and then meeting people outside of New Mexico where that's their basic reference point. And they think that I li lived in this like very rural, very dusty cowboy boots only sort of environment where rattlesnakes are constantly like, you know, like shaking their tails at you no yeah, matter no, which I, way you turn. I assume that's a part of just traveling to school in Mexico is that the children have to carry, you know, six shooters for the rattlesnakes. Right. That's, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's one of those where like. It, the representation I feel like has been so poor that Breaking Bad is probably the most holistic representation of of New Mexico. Okay, um, yeah. only because I feel like it, it uh, acknowledges that it is a real that there are place schools in New that, Mexico. Yeah, that there there's like schools full of people who are doing like normal right. Recogn normal recognized like activities and there's like a car wash there's yeah. you know city streets that are paved with asphalt and yeah <laughs> there's not horses just you know pooping with impunity everywhere right um, <laughs> right, right. Um, right so like yeah i i get how on on a basic level i i feel i i'm not gonna say that i'm some expert here but like um, I do, I do feel like I understand how it can be discouraging to feel constantly misrepresented or not represented. Right. The thing about the different regions in the United States, what are the stereotypical identities often associated with those regions? Mm -hmm. Right. And we've talked a little bit about this before in terms of the South, but I think it's worth boiling down, uh, in this point as well. And that is that one, whatever identity you're thinking of, it's probably, either white or white adjacent mm -hmm, right right whether it's the south or the northeast midwest the west any of that sort of stuff right uh or the the central states that we sometimes refer to as the flyover states those sort of things right right uh which is of course a very uh reductive way of seeing you know the the people in those areas mm -hmm. um but also because you know what are the stereotypes associated with the south will you think of like uh rednecks and white trash folks you know white americans who are uh, associated with a certain kind of politics, right? Who may have like a CSA, a Confederate States of America, or yeah. some other sort of, you know, um, political inclination that is unfortunate, that sort of thing, <laughs> which really uh, ignores a lot. One, the non-white people who have lived in the South forever, including yeah. the ones who were originally a part of this, that we have a lot of places named after. Right, right, right. right? Same with the right. Midwest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 you know, the Southeast and the Midwest uh, have a lot of um, Native American names, but not a lot of Native Americans in those areas. Right. But so it glosses over those folks. It glosses over the descendants of the enslaved populations, mm -hmm. right, that have often been majorities in their respective areas. Right. Uh, it glosses over the waves of uh, immigrants from Mexico and other Latin American countries that yeah. have particularly been prominent within the last, you know, 60, 70 years, mm -hmm. you know, uh, things like that. Uh, that at this point are, you know, second, third, fourth generation established in these areas. Um, it also doesn't take into account things like if we associate these territories like the South with these, you know, racist white guys that uh, there are there were a lot of anti-Confederate sentiments in the South, mm -hmm. even going back to the Civil War itself. Mm -hmm. Right. I always like to point out that North Carolina had to vote twice to join the CSA. 
right? Because the first time the vote failed because the, we didn't want to uh, secede. Uh, and that, you know, in Eastern North Carolina, in Kinston, there is a monument, there is a memorial marker to the 10 men who deserted the, uh, the CSA, uh, 10 young men who were Confederate soldiers who deserted, uh, some of whom I think uh, became unionists or they, they, they either all became unionists or some became unionists that lent material aid. Mm-hmm. But they were hanged in public. Yeah. Right. By uh, General Pickett. Yeah. And so there's a similar there's a similar town in Gainesville, Texas, that uh, Mm -hmm. it's the site of the largest mass hanging in United States history for the same reason. Yeah. 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 And that, you know, the uh, the assumption that this identity is intimately associated with this region ignores the complexities of things like the people of color that have lived here, the various cultures that lived here, the various political orientations that have, you know, taken root here, as well as the people who even contemporary to the time that we're drawing these stereotypes from resisted these mm-hmm. identities. Yeah. Right. So I say all that to say this, when we're thinking about identities and borders, it's important to bear in mind that our stereotypes, if we're going to have them, they should be points of uh departure mm-hmm. right they should be like things that okay we're familiar with this let's see what else there is yeah right because it's every bit as unreasonable to characterize you know the south of the midwest of the northeast as you know being stereotypically associated with white folks as it is to assume that the united states at all is synonymous with being white sure even though we do operate with systems social cultural economic and political institutions that reinforce whiteness that's not all that's here similar to what you're talking about now and since i brought up breaking bad as probably in my opinion the most holistic national media that has represented new mexico even then it i i say that with a bit of sarcasm because i mean the the show is pretty white centric and if you have been to new mexico that's not exactly the experience you're going to have just about anywhere um and the 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 people of color that are consistently depicted are either um basically faceless they're just parts uh, part of crowds uh or they are villains or they are mischievous and causing trouble or they are um service people who are are there to um support industry and and things like that that are owned and operated by white folk right what legal or illegal uh operations right like because that's what the show Mm -hmm. is is depicting but although in terms of stereotypes, didn't you work in a boot and gun store in Utah? Ah, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, we could talk about stereotypes there too, but yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a, that's an entirely different. Uh, yeah. My uh, apologies for mixing up Utah and New Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wash your mouth out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now that we've touched on this idea, let's, let's take it a step further and talk about whiteness as an identity that's associated uh, with other countries and then tagged on as an accessory. Yeah. Right. And that is this last point uh, in this article. So when we think about whiteness as an identity, it being broadly speaking associated with Europe, mm-hmm. right? Um, and Europe is, or as some folks uh, like to point out, the Asian Peninsula, because it is a very small part of that land. Mass. For sure. It, you know, um, but then it's often associated with European countries in particular, but in a way that at best is ancillary mm-hmm. to whiteness maybe yeah. right so you know it's very popular for at least when i was growing up and still i guess to some extent for white folks to latch on to uh an ethnic identity 
which is fine, but it is elevated at times in a way that I think is not genuine. And mm-hmm. here's what I mean. I've known people who very strongly identified with their ethnic ancestry uh, in terms of being French or in terms of being Irish or uh, Scottish or, you know, British or something along those lines. Not because they were trying to have some sort of like ethnic purity idea or anything sure. like that, but but because, at least in my estimation, they were frustrated with the American ethnic uh, culture that they had been given by birth mm. and they wanted something that was a bit more meaningful. And part of the problem there is that often when we do this, we are, and this is the case with diaspora groups. This is the case with uh, people who are just far removed from whatever ancestral homeland that they're supposing. Uh, it lends itself to a very reductive, very sort of monocultural view I gotcha. of those groups. Yeah. Right. We've talked about this before with like Dr. Howard Williams or Dr. Maxwell Paul, um, and this idea that Europe is constructed in a way that is monocultural, mm-hmm. which is entirely not the case. Right. The West, right? right? The West, broadly speaking, right? Which whenever I talk to my students about that, it's like, you know, when we talk about the West, it's like, okay, well, the West is Western Europe. The West is the United States. The West is Australia as well. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Suddenly. Right? <laughs> the West is where there's white people. Right. Typically speaking. Right. Right. But even that gets a little funny because you got white folks in the East as well, but they're kind of the West, but not the West. But, but that's, that's where we, we are getting into this idea of the construction of whiteness, right? That like, um, I think, I think that helps to acknowledge that, uh, there is a construction of whiteness, that whiteness does not include everyone, not that it ever has, uh, right. but it, it continues to reinforce boundaries that are both arbitrary and, um, artificial, right? The, mm-hmm. They, they are, this idea of whiteness, um, is amorphous, but also very, very, uh, gated. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. it is both amorphous and gated. It's a regulated boundary that also shifts and moves. Right. right. So, I mean, you see that the, in, in history, the, the legal system and how the legal system has had to, when, when, um, whiteness was legally protected and, and enforced, right. That like you would have these different, uh, people and, and groups at times go to the U S judicial system, uh, yeah. claiming, Hey, Look, like based on what y'all have talked about, I don't fit into this non-white status. So you're going to have to now, since whiteness is a legally defined thing and a, a legally enforced thing, you know, you're right. you're, you're going to have to tell me, can, can I can I be a part of this legally uh, protected status? Can I can I be white? You know, and and um, I think the first judicial case where where someone was specifically petitioning the government in this in this regard through the judicial system was uh, Japanese, I believe, um, in like the early 1900s, and um, he was denied. And then there was a, a uh, let's see, I think he was Punjabi, but from India. Um, yeah. And and petitioned and also I think he he petitioned a couple times, but was basically saying like I'm 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 supposed to be from this Aryan race that y'all are talking about, but I'm not right. enjoying the privileges that uh, white Aryans say that uh, I, you know mm-hmm. Aryans should be enjoying. So um and 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 put out a, a a pretty good critique of whiteness at the time through that case. 
Um, and, and yeah, I, I, I think it's, I think it's interesting how whiteness has chosen to create its boundaries, but also has chosen at times to enforce those boundaries and other times chosen to expand its boundaries. There's, um, there's another case. And I don't think it's that one. I think it's another one where there was someone who was from, um, what we would call, uh, South, uh, Southwest Asia and Northern Africa, mm. um, or the Middle East, and Northern Africa, that kind of area where he was petitioning for citizenship, but to be a citizen, you had to be white. Mm-hmm. He was denied a couple of times. And in one of his arguments, he said, well, uh, if Jesus is white, then I am too. Cause I'm from the same place as he is. Ah. Mm. Uh, and sometimes that story gets overblown as like, that's how he got his citizenship was about making that argument. It's not, yeah. it was a component. It was one of the arguments he made, but it wasn't like the single For thing. Sure. I don't think. Yeah. Uh, but that yeah, wasn't yeah, the yeah. linchpin that like, Oh, fine. Okay, fine. You know, you, you guilted us into this. <laughs> right. But I mean, that, that appeal is, you know, to say that you hold whiteness in a certain regard. Right. And you know, who's whiter than Jesus. Right. Right. Uh, right. So, um, I'd make a good shirt. Who's wider than Jesus? Anyway, uh, so <laughs> so the other thing that actually that comes to mind is I know that there was um, I'm reading about this uh, law case. I want to say in California, in the it would have been right when California had been granted statehood, okay. and there were Spanish people who were trying, not Mexicans, yeah, Spanish, Spanish people who were uh, or the descendants of Spanish people who were trying to uh, apply for citizenship and things like that and uh, get full enfranchisement. And there was a guy who argued that, you know, well, I'm not Mexican, right? I'm not uh, Mm -hmm. from the natives like the Mexicans are. I'm not brown like them. I'm white like you. You should like, and based on that, I should be a a citizen. And they still denied him because in that case, it was advantageous to further disenfranchise the local Spanish population, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because that was a a competition with the quote unquote, you know, Anglo-European um social structure that yeah. they had at the time yeah. so yeah i mean in that case we would generally speaking now we would consider the spanish broadly white even though i mean again we're talking about a group uh, we're talking about a nation with a lot of different you know cultures and ethnic groups and racial identities uh but at the time it was advantageous to exclude them right 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 and then later on it became advantageous to include certain kinds of white folks like the irish Right. right or Italians, uh, yeah, or or the Italians, uh, particularly when it came to like law enforcement, mm-hmm. right? So right. they become associated with law enforcement and those occupations, uh, which are all about regulating capital, regulate if it wasn't the bodies of people that were owned, such as the enslaved or uh, the factories and the means of production that were being stifled by unions uh, and you know the demand for more liberal wages and conditions. Either way, those were regulated through law enforcement, whether public or privately owned. Uh, and often heavily associated with the Irish, which is a part of the sort of social buy-in of how Irishness becomes white. It's not the only thing, but it's a component of it. Right. Well, right? and that's that's why I was saying last time how like the construction of whiteness, part of the rhetoric is that it it encourages groups to reinforce whiteness, right? Because the, yeah. the more that you are supportive of the institution of whiteness, um, the the more you are promised a, a stake in the game or, or protection yeah. or or just less harm right absolutely and sometimes the less harm is is you know all that someone gets but it's it's meaningful right to that person it's like why do we uh endorse the idea of uh the 20 dollar bills in our pockets as being like legal tender because we have a best interest so we can spend the money right 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 
it, it's a part of that buy-in. So that being said, let's talk about how we associate whiteness with different ethnic identities in Europe and ethnic often tied to national, although na- nation is not the same as, as ethnicity, mm. right? There is an important distinction there. But you will have folks who will, when it comes time for like St. Patrick's Day, right? Or Oktoberfest or whatever it happens to be, they will claim an ethnic identity. But that, and I'm not knocking that practice necessarily. I think that's a larger, more complex politic to get into. But my point is that's an option. Right. 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 They you can, can switch into that, that and then switch out of it. And also, how would anyone know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. If, if, if you, Barry, were to say, well, I'm Irish, right? Uh, if, if in our context of our relationship, you were like, well, I'm, I'm Irish American on my, you and this means something special to me or whatever. Right. And then you move somewhere else and say, well, actually I'm German. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then you move to another place and say, well, I'm, uh, Polish or something along those lines. How would anyone know? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, if you have a certain skin color, you have not been the ascribed to you. Right. 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 And so if you're dark skinned, you may have blackness ascribed to you. Right. If you have a particular, you know, brownness to you, they may, you know, folks may say, well, you're Latino or you're Hawaiian or Polynesian again. Right. Or hair texture. Yeah. Right. Hair texture, facial features, those sort of things. Or if you're like me and people are like, I don't know what the hell you are, but I don't think it's white. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, The Rorschach test sort of thing. Then you, but you have something ascribed to you that narrows the possibilities of identification. Yeah. Right. I know people, for example, I know a family that is, it's, uh, they are, the mother is ethnically Chinese, but was raised in Mexico, Mm. right? She is as Mexican as the day is long, Mm -hmm. right? Raised her children uh, to be Mexican, right? And, but by virtue of her skin color, the possible interpretations of her identity from outsiders is very much narrowed in a way that they may not find intuitive. Yeah. Right. If they actually knew that she was from, you know, uh, from Mexico. Right. So, but the idea then for white folks is that because these, uh, identities are optional. Yeah. And because they're not ascribed in a, what appears to be an intuitive way, right? The way that we ascribe blackness or brownness or, or any other identity, racial identity also means then it's not as defining. And I don't, and I want to be careful here because I'm not saying this isn't meaningful to folks. If it's meaningful to you, that's absolutely, you know, your prerogative. If you find value in identifying as Irish or Welsh or French or whatever particular ethnic group uh, within those subsections of nations, that's cool. Yeah. That's, that's great. I'm not knocking that. What I'm saying is though, it's not a part of like why you may have uh, been denied a loan at a bank. Sure. Right. Yeah. And it, it, it doesn't offer permission to be dismissive of folks who are dealing with mm-hmm. issues where they are denied things like that, that have substance and, and value and, and, and whatnot because of identifiers in their life. Right. I, I mean, that's, that's another consistent theme I've seen in, in whiteness and how it's reinforced, uh, particularly since the Immigra- Immigration Act of 1960, what's that, 4, 1965? 65. Yeah. yeah. That, like, be, one of the consequences in how it was, ref- how immigration was reformed is that um, it encouraged folks from countries that were normally, we were denying immigration to because their lack of white status and instead right. changed it to, hey, only the the wealthy and really well educated 
folks from your yeah. country can come over here. Now right. that has been, uh, you, this is part of the amorphous part of, of whiteness that I see regularly is okay. We can adapt to that. That's fine because now mm-hmm. with the current folks who are suffering from our, our system and struggle to get an advantage, we'll import these other folks that are, are, are racial, we're gonna consider racial analogs to you and say, look, they're successful, what's wrong with you? Look, here's this yeah. person from Nigeria who is a doctor and accomplished mm-hmm. and has their own practice and has their own means and, and, right. and then moves to the United States, buys a nice house in a nice neighborhood and um, I, I'm willing to associate with them, so now I'm not racist. What's wrong with the rest of you folks that I feel like looks just like him? Surely you should. There's something wrong with you instead, right? And and so these oh. these mm-hmm. these new folks that that uh, at least historically um, are are new to uh, the the United States uh, system. Now we're using those as as useful for mm-hmm. reinforcing whiteness, right? Yeah, we being white folks are. It's important to note that, that uh, we associate with them line is more like we go to the same PTA meetings, but our kids right. aren't social right. with each other. Right. 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 Yeah. 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 It, it does becomes a bludgeon. Right. Uh, and, and, and that's much of that's the history a, of South Asians in North Carolina. There is a large population oh yeah. of South Asians in, in uh, North Carolina through immigration, particularly in the last since the 1960s. Um, and, um, the, the, the history there is largely built on this, uh, look, you're, you're the model minority. We can, we can say, look, we're not racist. See, Mm -hmm. we're the South. We're not racist. We accept this whole community of folks here. Um, it's just the rest of y'all we don't, we don't like, and it's because they got Mm -hmm. it put together. What's wrong with you sort of a thing, you know? No, you're, you're right. Well, and, and. At the risk of, of uh, asking you to speak out of line, uh, and if you are, if I am, then you know we can just glaze past this and edit it out. But <laughs> has your wife is of South Asian descent, right? Yeah. Uh, has she experienced that? Uh, she she she's because had, she is a success. She's a successful woman, right? 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 Um, yeah. I mean, as uh, yes, yes, she has. Um, I think uh with trying not to venture too far into speaking on her behalf uh she has expressed to me how um she has been kind of the the token minority amongst family and friends that is like look see look at us mm-hmm. one oh yeah we're not yeah. racist because we have this person here amongst us um two we're we have accepted one into the fold right two right, yeah. we're not racist because clearly because we've accepted someone into the fold and they're successful, relatively speaking, and they're doing like uh, things that we generally approve of. Really, the problem is not race; it's that y'all, you are are a bad person. This right. this brown person that we're associated with is good, and mm-hmm. so uh, see, we're, see, see, colorblindness is really actually helping us out, right? Right, right. Um, brown bodies become propagandized to reinforce standards of whiteness. That's a much better uh, yeah. way of saying what I said. Yes, that's why I'm here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so these white identities become optional; they become ancillary, and and they can they can become points of meaningful discourse and construction, certainly. But also, they are not defining because our system, our our modern American social system, doesn't require them to be defining mm. in the way that other identities must become defining. Sure. Um, White folks get to be white folks plus, 
right? Mm, yeah. Plus whatever else. Right. Right. Uh, but black folks and brown folks don't have that option necessarily. And that doesn't mean that if you're white, that you should not, you know, connect in some meaningful way with the cultural practice. But I would ask a couple questions about that is one, what role is this going to have in your life? Right. Yeah. Uh, for two, how are you going about doing that? Right. Are you going off of pop culture narratives and representations? Are you wearing a kilt at your wedding because you like kilts, which a friend of mine did. But later on, he was like, yeah, that was an attempt at claiming something that was really not genuinely a part of his life. Mm. Right. Um, and then the other aspect is like, how are you defining these groups? How are you understanding them? Right. Yeah. So like, do you understand that? All these different European countries experienced, you know, significant amounts of migration, not just among different ethnic groups, but also what we consider now from a modern lens, different racial groups, whether it's from the Mediterranean or North Africa or from, you know, places in, in, uh, in Asia or the Middle East. Uh, and how does that factor into your conceptualization of what it means to be this person? And then I guess the last question I would have is like, how do you enact this culture? Because, because culture is a way of being, mm -hmm. right? So if you're trying to decenter whiteness in your life, which I can appreciate that folks want to like get away from that. Okay. If a component of that is because it won't solve the whole thing, but if a component of that is that you want to claim or reconnect to a ethnic or, or uh, an ethnic or national identity. Yeah. Something that's a little um, bit more tangible and, and real. Sure. Right. How are you going to do that? And what way are you putting in the work? Right. Yeah. And what version of that identity are you latching onto? Yeah. Right. right. Because right. just as there are meaningful, helpful, community oriented constructions of these identities, there's also terrible nationalist, uh, overtly racist, um, constructions of these identities and well. incredibly ignorant ways. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of the, the thought. And then like, how is the mass media that you consume informing that? Right. We've talked about this before, but I think in especially on the topic of trying to deconstruct institutions that are are inherently problematic, uh, like whiteness. I think sometimes when we connect it to our mass media, uh, I, I know that sometimes I feel the pressure to problematize everything that I watch. And now all of a sudden I can't enjoy anything because now I see problems with everything. And it, it, it certainly is a balancing act. I, I, I think there is some media that really once once I have learned of some of the implications and the problems that come from those implications that is in my media. Yes, yeah, some media is no longer enjoyable anymore. Sometimes it's actually yeah. not fun to watch, even though mm -hmm. I used to enjoy it, you know. Uh, but I also think that it, it doesn't have to. Uh, take everything away because all all of our media, as you've talked about before, is uh, a collapsed version of some kind of reality. Uh, there, there's there's human stories in all of this, but there's also humans making those stories and and constructing them, and those sure. humans are making mistakes along the way and whatnot. Um, so there there certainly is uh, a thing to be said that like getting into this and trying to view our media through new lens with a critical eye is is something that takes some getting used to, at least for me, and and mm -hmm. learning how to enjoy my media that I watch without, uh, while, while acknowledging the problems, but also enjoying the things that are real successes in that media is, is a, a skill set. And so uh, mm -hmm. as I try and deconstruct uh, the rhetoric of whiteness in my media, 
yeah, I think it's useful. I, I actually do enjoy an awful lot of Breaking Bad. It's it's sure. really wonderful storytelling in a lot of really powerful ways. And they touch on issues yeah. that are deep, very um, unsettling, very personal, very heartwarming all over the place. They, they reach a broad spectrum of, of emotionality in ways that is hard to do. Yeah. And there's also problems with it. And there's also oh, yeah. ways in which it reinforces stereotypes. It reinforces whiteness as the center and the norm. It, it does all of that. And, mm -hmm. and so I, I think it, it helps me to make sure that I'm not swallowing all of what the media that I consume is offering. That I, I can yeah. find the good in what I'm watching, but I can also filter out or at least acknowledge, hey, there's something wrong with this as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I prefer to go another route and that is that I just embrace being a hypocrite, but <laughs> that is not the more thought. No, no, but I, <laughs> you're right. I mean, it is a balancing act of acknowledging the both end of it. Right. Uh, yeah. Because something that is problematic and has some deep flaws can also be pro-social in some other aspects. Um, one of the things that, and, and to your point about like consuming this media and thinking about it is at the very least just to ask some questions you don't have to have the answers to them just to ask some thoughtful questions for example um we often see i'll go back to this example a, a couple of times where i just referenced the idea of like uh norse um uh identity and whatnot but like modern depictions of vikings right which we see with like the the head tattoos and the coloring mm -hmm. and the the all that sort of stuff and the hairstyles and what have you and just ask yourself well is that accurate and if you are someone of Scandinavian descent, to what extent do you want to incorporate those things into your lived experience? But going back to the question of like, is this accurate? I was shocked to find out recently, thanks to a, a TikTok by Dr. Howard Williams, uh, that most modern depictions we have of Vikings uh, comes from a particular historian who basically made the depictions up out of thin air by using uh, aesthetics from indigenous people of the Americas. Mm. So like the tattoos, the body modification, the all that sort of stuff, like there is scant evidence of tattoos uh, present in um, what would have been, you know, Viking uh, uh, life, which is reasonable because, you know, skin doesn't preserve that well. Sure. Right. So it's, sure. it's hard to know, but that a lot of the stuff that we have now is very heavily inspired by this one historian who recreated uh, Viking imagery based on uh, the indigenous peoples of the Americas, specifically because he was trying to emphasize the savagery and barbarism that he mm. was imposing on this uh, identity. Right? Yeah, he was using a form of rhetoric, right? Like yeah. it, it was it was yeah. a rhetorical tool to try and illustrate the mood, <laughs> if you will. Ab absolutely, absolutely. And so he's like, well, we know the Vikings were savages like these other primitives across the ocean, again, his perspective. Uh, so that's how I'll construct them in terms of, you know, visual uh, composition and visual rhetoric. Sure. And yeah, so then going back to the question of, yeah, it is, it's my mind. Uh, so then going back to this idea of, like, when you think about the aesthetics of something, right, if you want to uh, consume media that has a particular um, ethnic identity associated with it, just ask yourself, like, well, is this accurate? Yeah, especially if you're tempted to take pride in certain features or aspects mm -hmm. of it. Uh, you know, like, is this depiction actually depicting what I'm claiming to take pride in? 
you know? Yeah. Is this depiction yeah. actually depicting something that's going to be useful for me and, uh, you know, help, help me to connect better mm -hmm. with myself and who I am and to define myself in a way that's going to be, uh, helpful and useful to society. Cause usually if, if you're interested in trying to deconstruct your whiteness, distance yourself from the, the construction of whiteness as a white person, then usually you are trying to, in some way, have a pro-social bent to your identity, right? You're, you're trying right. to like do something, mm -hmm. you have good intentions. So, you know, further that intention with some action that is critical of the media that we're watching, right? Right, right, right. And also in that same vein, um, don't get too caught up in standards of authenticity. And, and what I mean yeah, by that yeah. is not that you can pull from anywhere. It's just that all identification is a process of choices. Yeah. There are things we choose to embrace and things we don't. Even for those of us, especially for those of us who have identities that are handed to us ancestrally, that we then have to decide, well, do I really want to do this or not? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right. So mm -hmm. then if you're if you are someone who was born to an identity and you have to make those choices, uh, that's okay. And if you are someone who's reconnecting with an identity and you have to make those choices, it's okay. You don't have to accept something entirely wholesale. Right. Yeah. Uh, so like what traditions are you accepting? Where do those traditions come from? What kind of period? What kind of context were they derived from? That kind of thing, you know, so totally. So and just be mindful of the role of how mass media is informing those choices. So. Um, so, yeah, that about does us uh, on this series. Um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, please, you know, uh, email us and let us know. Uh, if there's any other particular things that you want us to talk about, please, you know, contact us at gacruisephd at gmail.com. All right, folks, if you want more of this kind of foolishness, you can find me on uh, TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram at gacruise underscore phd. Uh, please leave us a, uh, a like and a review. Um, you know, share us with your friends and enemies. Play us at significant moments in your life, uh, like the, you know, the, the birth of your child uh, or the first time, more importantly, the first time that your child sleeps through the night. If you have children, um, that's a momentous occasion. As it well. is a heavenly so, day. Yeah, it is. Right. It is short. It is immediately taken away. But for that brief, <laughs> glorious moment that you got five consecutive hours of sleep, like, ooh, that is a high like no other. Yep. Anyway, so. Uh, thanks for dropping by the office and we'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye.